welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Thanks, Dave and Sean, for, for sharing that with us. That was, was great. And so hopefully, yeah, a ton of people can chase you down and get ourselves plugged in. Uh, well, good morning. Welcome to Oak Hills. Hey, I, just in case... You are catching the the whiffs. I don't know that I was kind of tracking in the service, and I didn't hear anybody say again. But you, we all realize we're having lunch after this, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Good. And no, I'm not going to make it shorter. I got 30 minutes, and I'm going to take every single one of them, plus a couple. So anyway, it's a privilege to be. Together this morning, our passage is in John uh, chapter 14. So if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, and if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Jesus said, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So Father, we ask that you would teach us to be vessels for your work. That the eternal kind of life that you offer us might flow through us into the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the, uh, the, the disciples here, they are understandably distressed. You know, Peter, James, John, Philip. Bartholomew, Jesus had just told them that he is getting ready to go back to the Father and that they would not be able to follow him. And they were starting to freak out, which makes perfect sense, right? I mean, for the last three years, they had been following Jesus. They'd been around a guy 24-7, that could heal any disease that he encountered. He could make food out of nothing if he wanted to, or even go without food and still be fine. He could calm stormy winds. He could cast out demons. He always knew just what to say at just the right time. In a very literal sense, Jesus brought Love and peace and joy and life and hope and friendship and freedom wherever we went. You know, in the shows, they always show, you know, with the guy that walks through and like the flowers bloom around. That was, that was Jesus. 
Jesus made whatever corner of the world that he was in a better place. It was the very embodiment of God's shalom, of universal flourishing for all. And it just oozed out of him into the world around him. And after three years, they'd gotten used to it. They had developed a taste for that kind of life, that, well, that eternal kind of life that they had whenever they were around him. But now, now he says he is going somewhere that they cannot come. And they are understandably distressed. Because really, you know, it was working. For the past three years, there was a buzz in the Jewish communities that hadn't been there for centuries, if ever. Life had been fuller, more meaningful. There'd been this air of expectation. There'd been a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. Life had purpose, real purpose. You know, not just the survive through the day kind of subsistence. But a real eternal kind of purpose. But even though it had been working, it was quite obvious that the work wasn't done. The world was still very much a mess. Romans were still in power. The Jews were still all over the map with regard to the relationship with God. Injustice and corruption still ran the game in Jerusalem. All the sacred institutions had been commoditized. The future of the nation was unsure. And I get it. I mean, I haven't had the same experience with Jesus that they did. And most of the time, even I wander around muttering, Jesus, I wish you were here. I wish you were here. Because the world around us is in trouble, right? I mean, there's war, tensions building, maybe more war. We have shootings. We've lost faith in our social institutions that are supposed to protect and lead us. People are losing their jobs. Marriages are strained. Children are anxious. And now we even have to worry about balloons. <laughs> Although I never really trusted balloons. But you know, you look at them and they're, what are they doing? What are they checking? And that's just the stuff on the news. The things that really keep us up at night are the real stories of the real people that we actually know, that we do life with. Not the hypothetical statistic, not simply data on a spreadsheet, but the real names and faces of the people in our life that we know and love and desperately want Jesus to do something to fix, to heal, to redeem. Jesus, I really wish you were here right now. And if we're honest, it is these stories, these faces, that can actually sometimes kind of make us sort of roll our eyes at this whole stuff that we've been talking about in this series over the past few weeks. See, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the eternal kind of life that Jesus came to offer us. And it has been this very personal series where we've been reminded that our lives need not be this doldrum of futility. 
where we perpetually fall victims to the wounds and the habits and the grudges of our past. We've been reminded of the great news that obedience to God isn't this thing that God like, forces us to do so that we'll stop bothering him. But really that obedience to God is a gateway to fulfillment and joy and life as we only had dared hoped it would be that it was really the gateway to an eternal kind of life. And it's been great. And I know for a lot of us, we've had significant encounter with God for either maybe the first time or maybe the hundredth time as we've pondered this great truth of the glorious destiny that is ours in God's great universe. But then we remember the faces of our family, of our friends, of our coworkers or our neighbors. We remember their stories. We remember their lives. We remember the fact that they are not experiencing an eternal kind of life. It can be hard. It can be hard to fully enter into this life when you know that the people that you love aren't experiencing it. But instead, they're experiencing pain and sickness and brokenness, whether it's by their choices or the choices of the others. It doesn't matter when you love someone if they're hurting you hurt jesus i really wish you were here and i so i can imagine that this is something of what was troubling the disciples as they began to imagine a world without jesus they they began to ponder the thought of jesus leaving This man who had made life better, not just for them, but for everyone. He was going away. And what are they supposed to do now? Well, Jesus' response to their concern starts from a rather unexpected place, at least for me. Verse 10, Jesus says, The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Which is, that's a weird way to begin to set his disciples at ease. Basically, his first words to calm them down was to tell them, Hey guys, all this stuff that you hear me say, all this stuff that you see me do, it's not really me doing it. It's the Father working through me. It's not really me doing it. It's the Father working through me. And this isn't, by the way, just the only verse that he says. This isn't, you know, something that he's rattling off so that he can kind of get out the door. Kind of like you do when your kid attaches themselves to your leg when you're trying to get out the door to go to work. And they, when you're like, that's okay, I'll be right back. I promise. Sort of thing. No, this is actually a regular teaching point for Jesus. We hear it in John chapter 5 when he says the son could do nothing by himself. John chapter 7, my teaching is not my own. It's what he alludes to at the feeding of the 5,000 when in reference to the hungry crowd that is pressing in on them, he tells his disciple, hey, you guys should give them something to eat. It's a consistent theme where Jesus makes it clear that nothing that he is doing, is he doing on his own power, on his own authority. This isn't simple kind of, 
aw shucks kind of false humility. Jesus isn't just throwing this in here to fill a quota and say the right thing in front of the cameras. It is a critical teaching point about the eternal kind of life. And the point is this. Jesus' life and work and words were not the way they were because he was God and so, well, of course he could do all that stuff. His life and works and words were a model, a living example of what the life of any man or woman completely surrendered to the will of God and fully formed in God's kingdom could be. Jesus' life, his whole life, not just his character, not just his attitude, not just his peaceful and wise demeanor, but the healing, the prophetic wisdom, the compassionate touch, the energy for kingdom labor, his activist engagement, all of it. His whole life is an example of what the eternal kind of life looks like. He did not do the things that he did on his own power as God himself. He did the things that he did, said the things that he said, as a human being living fully in the reality of God's kingdom. And when you let that soak in for just a second, it's actually really hard to take Jesus at his word here. It's hard to believe that he's saying these things. Frankly, it's hard for the disciples to believe him. You know that it was hard for the disciples to believe him because the next thing that he says, he doubles down on what he just tells them. Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is serious here. What he's been doing is a collaboration between him and the Father. That is what is true of the life of Jesus. But wait, there's more. Not only was this true of the life of Jesus, it can also be true of our lives. Verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Wait, what now? Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. The healing? Yes. The raising people from the dead? Yes. The courageous humility under pressure? Yes. The turning down the opportunity to be king? Yes. The laying your life down for others? Yes. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. And that is, for me at least, one of the most unbelievable things that Jesus said. Because you see, Nothing in my experience, nothing probably in our experience as a culture, has trained us to think this way. You see, we've grown up in a world where exceptional power and exceptional skill 
is bestowed only upon the limited exceptional few. I mean, sure, there's all the public service announcement uh, by the athletes and the celebrities and the business tycoons where they assure us that any one of you could be just like me if you work hard enough. But we know it's not true. We know it's not true because they only became them through an arduous process of competitive elimination by which they beat out all others that stood in their way. So no, no matter how hard I try, I cannot be LeBron James. I cannot be Gavin Newsom. I cannot be Jeff Bezos, most especially because if I ever got close, they themselves would actively work against me becoming them. But you see, here once again, Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, power is not scarce. The king is not insecure. He actively gives out power and authority to anyone who is willing to work in accordance with his will. Everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. The very spirit that Jesus says in verse 16 that the Father would send to us. He did that not because he didn't have power himself. He was very much God. But he had willingly emptied himself of the independent exercise of his own power so that he could show us what is possible in the eternal kind of life. So that he could show us what life in the reality of the kingdom of God is actually like. And again, if it's hard for you to believe this, it's okay. It's hard for me to believe it too. And we're in good company because it was hard for the disciples to believe it. And really, it's hard to believe because I've got plenty of evidence for not believing it, right? I've got a stack of prayers that I've prayed that haven't resulted in what I wanted them to result in. I've got plenty of examples of big public figures that talked the big, masterful, powerful God game and then turned out to be charlatans and conmen. If Jesus is serious, well then why can't I do it? Because I don't know about you, but the last time I tried walking on water, I sank to the bottom of the pool. But here's where we have to remember that everything else that we've been talking about in this series about the eternal kind of life. Mainly the fact that the eternal kind of life is something that we learn to live. Something that we learn to live from Jesus. If God does not normally use his heavenly zap to free us from our issues with anger or lust or addiction or unforgiveness. Stands to reason that he won't use his heavenly zap to give us spiritual superpowers either. I mean, imagine if he did. That would be disastrous for us and the world. Same reason I don't let my six-year-old handle my chop saw. It's not that I don't want him to. I would love him to. I just also want him to have all his fingers. Now I'll let my 18-year-old use it. In fact, I don't even have to be in the same room with him when he does. I can yell over my shoulder the length and the angle of the piece that I want him to cut, and he just does it. 
No fingers included. And it's not that I love one son more than another. It's not that one son is more responsible. I guess maybe, I don't know, whatever. But uh, it's that one son is further down the road of training than the other. If I gave my six-year-old unlimited access to my power tools, both he and our home would be devastated, be destroyed. Which is the exact same thing that would happen to us and the world if God gave us carte blanche, blank check access to all his power all at once. It would take you and me about 24 hours before the entire world lay in ruins at our feet. Because yes, we'd probably start by healing everybody with cancer and, and making sure that all the hungry people have food. But we would quickly move on to killing off our enemies and punishing those who inconvenienced us. I mean, imagine if when you wish somebody was go somewhere, that's actually where they went. Then we would make it so that people would simply not be able to choose the wrong thing to do. And overnight, we would become some version of a Marvel supervillain rather than a vehicle of God's shalom. So it makes sense. God doesn't give us a blank check on his power. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to. His intention is for us all to learn how to operate Freely and fully in the fullness of his kingdom. Not just for our own benefit, but for the sake of others. How do we do that? How do we learn to walk on water? Well, same way we learn how to not lose our temper when our kid doesn't go to bed when we want them to. We learn it by becoming a disciple of Jesus. You see, the same process of spiritual formation that molds us into the character of Christ molds us to continue his mission, molds us to continue the work that Jesus does. It trains us and equips us to continue the work of building his kingdom, of building shalom. So often we, we, we talk and we think of spiritual practices and training. We only think of like, you know, these personal and hidden and devotional practices that we, 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 we exercise in quiet isolation. Which, they're good and they're great and we desperately need to engage in them. But Jesus did not just live in quiet isolation and he did not only train his disciples in quiet isolation. He trained them in very public, hands-on situations. You know what? They didn't always succeed. They failed. A lot. If you read the Gospels, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, besides telling the story of Jesus, it's the disciples telling the stories of their own failures over and over and over again. Our training in mission, our training in doing the works of Jesus, we should expect to fail as well. Some years uh, back, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I'm uh, reading some book on some spiritual something or other. 
And there's this woman uh, at a table next to me is telling this story to the person that she was sitting with. She was telling these stories about these really horrendous visions that she was having about a person in Colorado that was being attacked and how she was in grave danger from these people and, and because of these visions and that they're going to come and get her. I'm listening to her and it seemed to me that something spiritual was going on with her and the thought occurred to me that I, that I should pray for her. And, and so I started praying for her in my head and And there's this voice that says, no, no, like you should go pray for her, like out loud. (laughs) So I put my book down, go over and kind of scooch over next to her and I'm all like shaky and nervous and I could say, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, but I couldn't help but overhear your story that sounds like you're pretty upset here. And she says, yeah, these visions keep coming to me, and I'm worried for this person. I'm worried that they're going to be attacked and that they're looking for me. And I said, well, you know, can I pray for you, for God to help to free you from these visions? She looks at me and says, No! And could you please, like, move away? Because you're making me very uncomfortable. And I ran out of the coffee shop, got my car, and I drove away. (laughs) Failure. When we are learning how to do things, failure is part of the process. Just like when you're learning how to be patient with your kids or when you're learning how to be patient with your parents. You don't always get it right. That doesn't mean that you stop trying. It doesn't mean that you stop learning. Trust me, our kids and our parents desperately want us to learn how to be patient with them. In the same way, the hurting, broken, divided, hungry, sick, addicted, lonely world around us desperately wants us to learn how to do the works of Jesus and to do greater things, even. And for that, we need to practice. This is why we do stuff like this scent class that Sean and Stephanie are hosting. To get us thinking about doing the works of Jesus in our everyday lives. This is why we are encouraging each other to stretch out and invite some kid to our mini arts camp in a few weeks. Because we need to practice using our words to invite people to check out the story of Jesus. This is why we partner with Heart every year. We need to practice rearranging our schedule to care for the unhoused in our community. This is why we we are doing these Acts 246 meals. We need to practice both being hosts and being guests, both sharing and listening. This is why we have spiritual formation opportunities at the church that help shape our heart and will and character because the truth of the matter is this. Angry people cannot help calm an angry world. Divided people cannot bring unity to a divided world. Fearful fearful people cannot bring peace to a fearful world. Lustful people cannot bring sanity to a sexually disoriented culture. 
in order to bring the eternal kind of life to a broken and dying world, we have to be living it ourselves. So no, all this spiritual formation, eternal kind of life stuff, isn't just so that you and I can live happy, fulfilled, quiet, peaceful lives of comfort with Jesus. No! We need to be spiritually formed because we are in a battle. We're in a fight. Not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is not a battle that we will win with our good intentions or with our strength or with our skills or our wisdom or our good looks. It's a battle that is only won by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we must become the kind of people through whom he can work. That was the plan all along, by the way. Father, Son, and Spirit, they always planned on women and men like you and me being the ongoing presence of Christ in the world. So when we encounter the brokenness of the world in some way, and we hear our heart cry out, Jesus, I wish you were here. Hear him respond. I am. Through you. So get to work doing the work that I was doing. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, I, I would invite, your, invite you to let your um, mind wander to someone in your life. Someone uh, in your life that you know needs a touch, needs to experience the eternal kind of life for whatever reason. Someone that you feel God calling you to be the conduit of the eternal life, kind of life to them. In a moment, we're going to close with a worship song. And as we've been doing throughout the whole series, we've, uh, we've had these tables back in the back with a prompt and stuff, places to write stuff down. And so just my invitation to you this morning is, uh, as we're worshiping, if God has brought somebody to your mind, if you just go back there, write their name on a piece of paper, and then come forward. There's a, there's a little treasure chest here at the front where we've been placing our prayers and our commitments all throughout the series. And I guess I wanted to end this series tonight in, with our thoughts to the people who need Jesus in our lives. In addition, there's these collection of these green wristbands that we handed out last week that um, we can use on our wrists to remind ourselves of the call to grow in our experience of the eternal kind of life, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the others that are around us. Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the promise that we have that Jesus is with us. 
And that in him we have everything that we need, not just for our own sake. But in Jesus we have everything that we need for the world's sake. So Father, we pray that our eternal kind of life that we are learning to live, that it would be directed to those that aren't experiencing it. That the seed of your kingdom that is growing in our lives would provide shade and comfort and care and peace and love for the people around us, that they might know that true life is found in you. We commit ourselves and our lives to do the works, Jesus, that you were doing. That the Father might be glorified in the Son. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.